Derek Adams of Time Out claimed that right up to an ending designed to crack the sternest critical poker face, this is gourmet popcorn of the highest order. Newsweek's David Anson raved that it makes up for its gaps in logic with its breezy tone and its technological razzle-dazzle. And letterboxed user Nora shared that this is a heist ensemble film made specifically for me because four out of five members of the core heist team are random men who I have thirsted after within the past two years. And to be honest, I'm like a year away from suddenly having a David Strathairn moment, so let's not discount him. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of sneakers. Reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. Welcome to Ruined Childhoods, the podcast where two people that you may or may not already know talk about movies and their various potentials to be sequeled, prequeled, spun off, uh, adapted into a Broadway musical, a uh, FX limited series, what have you. Anyway. Sure. I'm Dan. I'm John. How's it going? Yeah. Hey, we're here. We're we're recording in the middle of the day, which is which is fun and weird. It means that it's an opportunity for me to be drinking coffee while we're doing this, which is nice. Hey, cheers to that. I am also drinking cheers coffee. Cheers to that. Yeah. So, uh I feel like um I don't know. I the the energy of the film that we're going to be talking about, I feel like flows well with like the idea of being like, you know, alert and, uh, and caffeinated. Yes, I, yes. I don't know. Um, uh, less so, uh, you know, al- yeah, alcohol uh, where it might it's slow funny. you down some and movies keep you are a definitely, dull. Some movies are more daytime movies and some movies are more nighttime movies. And while I definitely, well, I, I don't know if sneakers falls under either category. It's definitely, uh, you have to be on your toes, uh, yeah. with this. Although, uh, and I don't know, like, I'm sure we've got some other news and notes to talk about before we get into I it. I got but some stuff. To me, sneakers is like, is one of the most pleasant. I'm going to, I'm going to just right, right away, go like own up to the, to my bias here. Uh, I love this movie. I have loved it for 30 years. Uh, I didn't see it in the theater, but, uh, saw it many times after it was released on home video and I had it in various forms. So, uh, big fan of this movie. I've been waiting to talk about it for a long time. So, uh, it's great. It's a lot of yes, fun. It's yeah. great. Um, but anyway, there are other things going on and certainly we want to address those before we, uh, before we jump into, and since our last episode was barefoot in the park, it's only appropriate <laughs> because we're going from barefoot to sneakers, but John, uh, go, go on. That was, that wasn't on purpose, but you know what? It works so well. It, it was such a happy accident. So, yes, absolutely. I, I, so, since the last time we recorded, there have been a few things that have come out in uh, in the news and in different, you know, 
actor interviews that are relevant to things that we've talked about in the past. And I want to start off with uh, a news bit. The Merriam-Webster word of the year is gaslighting. Yes. So, yeah, so uh, very appropriately appropriately so. I think that it they said that it was like the most looked up word or something like that. And uh, certainly deserving of being a word of the year. And just like kind of incredible that it comes from this movie from the 40s well two movies from the 40s right right yeah yeah um yeah and we we covered that was that uh earlier this year that we covered it might have been earlier this year yeah 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 and what a great movie what a great movie and it, it you know what it has come up in conversation just the term gaslighting and uh in my my work as a high school teacher uh, teaching about rhetorical appeals and kind of like the psychology of of media, yeah. Um, and talking about like different ways to convince people of things, we were, you know, we brought up the idea of gaslighting and where does that where does that fall, or is that like an entirely different category than the ones that we study? Anyway, well, uh, uh, it's also relevant to bring up because, I mean, it this didn't just happen, but also recently with the death of Angela Lansbury, uh, who appeared yes. brilliantly so in, in Gaslight. Film debut in Gaslight. Yeah, so uh, all of that is relevant. And while we're on the subject of uh, celebrities who have passed, you Wait, know, actually, we... no, it wasn't her film debut. It was her second, maybe? There was that, there were the two other ones she did first before that, right? So it's her film three I'm serious I'm telling you there there's definitely those two I'm sorry I'm gaslighting <laughs> I'm doing a poor job of it or I could just say no that wasn't a movie yeah you didn't see gaslight we didn't it is her film do- debut uh and yeah. so uh yes but also on the subject of uh celebrities who have passed you know Kirstie Alley passed uh just a few days before recording this uh certainly a controversial figure just in terms of her personal politics uh, but nonetheless gave us some fantastic performances in uh in cheers and the look who's talking movies and, oh de- uh, definitely let's not uh discount her performance in star trek to the wrath of khan right yes her work on star trek. Mm-hmm. but definitely like cheers and the look who's talking films I would say those like, yes, she did other movies, but those are the ones that really stand out. And she's so wonderful. And it's also like when we talk about, you know, uh, female leads carrying a movie, she carries the first Luke who's talking. John Travolta is secondary to Kirstie Alley. And he's wonderful in it, too. But like, right. Anyway. Um, but yeah, and John, what's interesting when I, when, whenever Kirstie Alley comes up, I do think of you. Do you now? Is it because of a certain story that, of something that happened to me one time when I was out for a walk? I think it's connected to that. It has to do with when I visited you once when you were living in Los Angeles and you took me. Okay. Yes. Go ahead. Tell your story. Okay. So, (laughs) and, and if what you're about to say does not have anything to do with this. No, then... I'm pretty sure this your story like leads to <laughs> mine. Okay, eventually. so I uh, it's actually it's it's interesting to talk about because uh, you know where I live in Portland, there is actually a a store that was um, openly and illegally selling 
magic mushrooms and uh it it just got shut down but like it was very openly like yes we are selling magic mushrooms and there were lines around the block it was kind of amazing so this story has to do with mushrooms and uh for anybody who likes to think of me as somebody who's you know oh just oh so pure and hasn't you know, done any uh, illegal things or uh, anything questionable. I have some news for you. You know, things happen when you, you know, when you're in your 20s living in Los Angeles. It just, they just do. <laughs> so uh, I was with a friend and they had uh, some mushrooms that, uh, you know, we didn't have anything going on that day. It's a beautiful day in Los Angeles. And we're thinking, you know what, let's take these mushrooms. And so we have them and, you know, that didn't really feel any effects of anything. And after a certain point, we decided we could either cut our losses and just call it a day and not expect anything more, or we can double down and try to track down some more. So we went with that option <laughs> because we were in our 20s living in Los Angeles. It was a beautiful day. So uh, we we managed to track down uh, some more. We had them in a in a tea form and uh, then we were just like all right who's who knows what's going to happen let's check it out let's let's go for a walk and so we were out for a walk and there were just like a series of very odd things that happened uh one we found this tree that had this very strange fruit that we had never seen on it before and uh, it led us to question, did we find a tree with a fruit that we've just never seen before, or are we tripping right now? And we <laughs> weren't quite sure. So we continued on our journey, and we ended up at uh, a, a very famous Los Angeles landmark in the Los Feliz Hills, which is, uh, I, I'm sure that it has some sort of clever name, but it's known as like a murder house where this... Uh, this dentist uh, on Christmas Eve was trying to murder his family and killed all but his one daughter who got away. And uh, the whole thing was that, you know, the house has been abandoned and you can still see like the Christmas presents through the window. Uh, very creepy. I'm sure that if you looked it up, you could find a lot more on it than that. And we were just like, what is going on? And this was also... Uh, I remember my friend uh, was the first person I knew who had an iPhone. This was when the uh, the first iPhone came out, so 2007. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and she was looking, trying to look up information about it while we were there. But we were like up in the hills. There was very bad reception, and also it was like very slow phone situation. Yes, Dan. Um, I'm getting to the Kirstie not- Alley bit. What? No, 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 no. My, my question is just, is that the house that the first season of American Horror Story is based on? Never seen it. Okay. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I might look this up. So, okay. yeah. So, uh, and, and that's when we're just like, is this crazy because we're tripping or is this crazy because it's crazy? Who knows? Let's continue on our walk. And then we come across this, this house, you know, it's behind this like wrought iron gate and there is this enormous cage in the front yard. And we're looking at it and we're thinking like, what is going, what is this? Until we see that there are a number of 
actual lemurs swinging around in there. And, uh, you know, we're just like, what is going on? This is somebody's <laughs> private residence. This is somebody's house. And there are these lemurs here. And so on my friend's first-generation iPhone, we look up, like, lemurs, los feliz, whatever we had to look up. And we discovered that it was none other than Kirstie Alley's house. So I... Yeah, yeah. uh, we learned a lot that day, um, but ultimately came to the conclusion that the things that we encountered were weird just because they were weird and not because we were tripping. Uh, the effects of the mushrooms, uh, we believe, did, did not actually set I, in. I, I lost you there. Um, you froze, so and I cannot anyway, hear you. I don't know if you can hear me. I can hear you. Oh, you you, you are unfrozen, and I can now hear you, and yeah. I can see you. Uh, so anyway, I'm looking up the Los Feliz murder, um, or Feliz, I forget, I never pronounce it right. Uh, the murder it's the, mansion. It's a running debate. Yes. I, uh, I'm, when I mispronounce it, I am not choosing a side in that debate. I'm, I'm pronouncing <laughs> it. Uh, yeah. So nothing, no mention here of the American horror story bit, but yeah, there's definitely, you, you, you Google that, you get a lot of results. Oh yeah, um, for sure. It's it's a whole thing. Yeah. So so that that's so much to say. Um, you know, I you I, know try shrooms, but I uh, maybe if they're old or I don't know, like there there's some cases in which maybe they're not going to work out for you. Yeah. Anyway. Uh. Yeah. I yeah been there done that you know hey <laughs> you know when you when you're you're buying from your like 20 year old cousin it's uh oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway 20s are, are are a wonderful time um yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so i've got a couple other what's up uh, oh i was gonna bring i want i had a question for you yes. um so we both recently saw um a movie that fits into our genre really, really well when we talk about like, you know, when we talk about movies from the, you know, 90s, 80s, 70s and say, is there is there a sequel in this? Could you do a sequel? And uh, the question of how do you make a sequel to Top Gun was oh, answered. Yeah. Uh, Top Gun Maverick. You and I both saw it for the first time recently. Yeah. What'd you think? I thought it was a lot of fun. I enjoy it more than I enjoyed the original. I do not enjoy the original Top Gun. Like, okay, I'm just not. I, you know, whatever. It's fine. It's not. I'm not. It's. It's not like another. It's not like other movies where I'm like, ah, it's terrible. I've never been. I've. I've tried with the original anyway. Um, I thought that Top Gun Maverick was a lot of fun. And I imagine I'm like, oh, yeah, this has got to be a lot of fun to see in the theater in IMAX. And uh, Joseph Kaczynski was the right person for the job. And uh, I'm sure I've seen other Joe. I know the only other Joseph Kaczynski film that that I know I've seen was Tron Legacy. Okay, this guy is he's maybe the best filmmaker for like IMAX spectacle movies because Tron well, also Leg- it will also what like 30 years later uh, sequels well, yes 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 so the 30 year later sequel uh, because like and we saw that at like the huge like Lincoln Center IMAX uh-huh. Tron Legacy and it was like you talk about 
mushrooms, you didn't need <laughs> shit to feel like you were tripping watching this. Uh, I mean, like laser cycles and everything. It was amazing. Uh, I like I can't watch it ever again because I'm like, no, no experience watching it is going to replicate that. So I feel right. like like seeing Top Gun, like watching Top Gun and watching it at home. I thought it was fun. I thought that the story was well told. I love um I, I I love that Maverick and Iceman text. It's so cute. Um I thought that they did a nice job uh including Val Kilmer. I thought that uh you know they did it they did a nice job of honoring the original, but uh in general they just it was it was a f- more fun movie and it it did have more stakes than i kind of anticipated it having well yeah okay here here's my take although okay uh it yes it was fun to watch i appreciate that they actually were filming inside of cockpits instead of just relying on you know cg and rigs and stuff like that and i mean i know that like the actors themselves had to press the button to start rolling on the cameras. Like they actually had to do that. They actually barfed in the cockpits and stuff like that. And so I appreciate the level of commitment to telling that story. Uh, However, um, I didn't love Val Kilmer in it. Um, I felt like it, it felt a little cheap to me. Like exploitative. Uh, Yes. I love Val Kilmer. And I feel like had he continued on his path as an actor and not uh, fallen ill and, um, you know, encountered some really kind of awful uh, situations with his health, uh, he wouldn't have been in it. I don't think they would have put him in it. Uh, he kind of went off the rails a little for a little bit and was doing his own thing and had become an artist and... Uh, I just don't think that that's the Val Kilmer that they would have put into a sequel. I think it largely had to do with his declining health. And that's just my feeling. I can't, there's no way of knowing if that's necessarily the truth, but it's just the feeling that I got. I I, thought that John, I I thought that John Hamm was great in it. I thought that he was a perfect, you know. Yes. uh, Yeah. I I don't know. I totally forgot about, uh, yeah, but John, yes, John Hamm, was great. Yeah, I mean, look, was it is it like was it a story that had to be told? No. No. Uh <laughs> I you know what and I will say John Hamm was a perfect new version of Tom Skerritt. Uh Tom Skerritt also of Cheers. Uh <laughs> Right. Yeah. So uh just to just to bring it back, but uh I I actually do like the original more. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the original Top Gun. However, I really felt like the uh, the the competition between Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer felt more authentic. Uh, I I feel like they were trying to recreate that this time around. Mm. Um, the love story with Jennifer Connelly in the new one I felt like just didn't sit right with me. Uh, you felt um, forced. No, I love Jennifer Connelly. I think she's yeah. great. Oh, but, yeah, Jennifer Connelly yeah. herself is great, but that that whole story, yeah, felt felt forced. I I I totally agree with everything you're saying. So, 
It was named Best Picture by the National Board of Review, which, you know, take it for what it is. Well, but but for them, I mean, was it in consideration against things that maybe haven't come out yet or... uh, you know, like, when did that happen? Because... At, like, yesterday? <laughs> I don't know. Like, it, I just feel like, uh, I don't know, National Board of Review, I just don't know if I necessarily feel like that's... Uh, I, the, the look on that is necessarily for cinematic quality. No, I think it is more of a, I don't know, a populist, if you will, uh yeah, you know, kind of like you know, it's like kind of the uh, like the MTV Movie Awards, but we've had some amazing movies come out this past year, and uh, yes. I I really feel like there are so many that you know, like even a great year for documentaries, uh, a great year for animation. Uh, I'd say that you know there, I I haven't seen a lot of the kind of newer stuff that's that's just starting to come out, but right. Uh, hard to say what how those are going to stack up. Uh, I may be biased because it was created out here in Portland, and also my place of business, the Portland Art Museum, is doing an exhibition on it this summer. But Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio I, is yeah, knew you were going there, Dan. It's out on Netflix the day that we're recording this today. Oh, so, it is. Yes. Oh, so, fabulous. Uh, you must watch it. It is exquisite. It is gorgeous. It is be- It is absolutely stunning. Um, so I highly recommend that. And honestly, it's like what what they do with uh, with Top Gun Maverick in the production and keeping things authentic. It's more of like a if you know, you know kind of a thing. Like if you know that the lengths they went to to create this, then yeah, that's that's good that they did it that way. But if you don't know, you would have probably been fine with it being CG. And, you know, uh, and I think that that's, uh, I mean, it's an admirable idea to kind of go back to more traditional ways of filmmaking while still making something that feels current and very relevant. But when you look at something like stop motion animation and you say like, you know what? Yeah, this story could not be told any other way. Mm-hmm. and it benefits so greatly from being done this way. And knowing that it's like 10 years in the making and so much thought and time went into this, and uh, I think that that goes a much longer way than trying to just be true to um, maybe a more traditional style of filmmaking. But that's one person's well, opinion. Well, I mean, also it's like there... It, it, it as fun as it was to watch, it wasn't like Top Gun Maverick was doing something new. No, it was doing something old, but it was feeling the fresh. presentation was yeah, it was about the presentation. Anyway, like I don't know, we don't need to get like look. National Board of Review also named Green Book Best Picture, which yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, hey, Dan, so I want to get to sneakers, but I want to just cover two other things really quick. Yeah, go for uh, it. So uh, in an interview with Antonio Banderas, and I feel like this was a baited question, but he was asked who he would want to oh. see play a new Zorro. Yeah. And he had recommended Tom Holland, uh, which is funny because it's a, an English actor, but I guess that's kind of like Anthony Hopkins' Welsh, you know, 
yeah, as it, Zorro in a way. And he said that he would want it to be done in a similar way where he's kind of passing the the sword or where Antonio Banderas. Yeah. So it would be it would exist in the universe of the legend, the mask of the Zorro, mask of Zorro. Of Zorro. Yeah, exactly. And Catherine Z- Catherine Zeta Jones, I imagine. Catherine Zeta Jones, who's back on the back on the screen, the small screen. Yeah, uh, we, I Wednesday. mean, we, yeah, talked about. Uh, talked about her. Did we talk about her on the... Well, you said that you were starting to watch it. I hadn't watched it yet, but we talked off mic off about mic, yes. how much we are, how much we enjoyed Wednesday. Yeah, and it was a, it. it was a, a, yeah, it was a really fitting way to bring back the Adams family in a way that feels uh, like it's something different. It's not just trying to do the same thing again. And, right. uh, and I, I know this is fodder for a future episode, so I... Uh, yeah. But we've talked about it before. Yeah. A bit, yes. You know? uh, but any, I do, totally recommend it. If you, I mean, like, you don't have to be a fan of the Adams family, but it certainly helps. And it's fun as hell. <laughs> spooky, <laughs> creepy, kooky. Uh, I prefer and kooky. and and <laughs> yeah. And Dan, I've I've got one more bit of information that's uh, that's come out recently. Uh, that's nice. going to bring us into our discussion about sneakers, but uh, allegedly uh, Robert Redford and Paul Newman's roles in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid were supposed to be reversed, but because Robert Redford was so new to the scene, uh, they didn't want to have this newbie have kind of like top billing, you know, the main character. Oh yeah. So so they so they swapped them. Yeah, I feel like I've read that somewhere. I, it was in an interview, uh, and it was reported as if it was new news. Okay, yeah, no, I'm pretty sure that's in like yeah. the IMDb trivia for the. Uh, well, so. anyway, I don't know. Uh, so, so thus leads us into our next Robert Redford centric movie. Yes, 1992's Sneakers. You mean Fort Red Border? <laughs> I will always, because of this movie, think of Robert Redford as Fort Red Border. That's really funny. So that's what in, it's in the opening credits when yes. it's like decoding his name. Oh, that's really oh funny. yeah, yeah, it's great. And they do. I, I'm pretty sure they like did that in the trailer. I, I like. I I didn't. I haven't watched it recently, but like I remember this movie having a pretty cool trailer. Well, I'll tell you what this movie has is a pretty cool cast and a pretty cool plot, <laughs> and, and pretty much a pretty cool everything else. Do you want me so, to synopsize? Well, okay. So before you before you synopsize, let's put it in context here, because I was thinking about like when sneakers was released, because this is a, you know, you got Robert Redford and Sidney Poitier, you've got River Phoenix in there, so like you, you've got a pretty you you've got a pretty you know sizable cast here. You've got Phil Alden Robinson, whose last film before this was Field of Dreams, so. Um, and this movie gets released in, uh, on September 11th, uh, pure coincidence there. I'm not calling this a conspiracy. Um, uh, in 1992 and it, 
September 19, I feel like September has traditionally been like, you know, back in, in the days of more traditional cinema releases, September is kind of the between ground of like, well, it wasn't quite our summer movie. Like in August, that's when we begin dropping the, you know, your, your, your less um, high profile summer, summer movies, your, you know, August 92 was like Raising Kane and Unforgiven, yeah. um, uh, Digs town single white female um uh, uh, stay tuned a favorite of ours uh yeah. tw- and twin peaks fire walk with me uh also that year then in september september movies are usually you know kind of mostly forgettable not in 1992 when you've got sneakers uh coming out on on the on the 11th there on the 18th you have both singles and it's a it's for uh, for s movies it is a year yeah. for s movies you've got singles and school ties wow so it's also uh s s titles that are plural s titles that are plural and um we're gonna round that month out with and i'm only saying this because right now it's the adaptation is on broadway mr saturday night Ooh. and and Michael Mann's The Last of the Mohicans, which is one of another oh. one of my favorite movies. And that comes out uh, September 25th that year. So September 1992 is an awesome month for movies. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, banger after banger right there. Seriously. Captain yeah. Ron comes out in there. <laughs> you so, know. Uh, so Dan, uh, I know that we like to sometimes talk about uh, when when we first saw particular movies, and I do have uh, a funny thing to mention about this one, and it's actually about how I failed to see Sneakers for the first time, uh, because uh, I guess in the later '90s, in my mind, it was called Sleepers. And so I saw that Sleepers was going to be on like HBO or something. And boy, oh boy, was I like, this isn't fun. (laughs) (laughs) This is not the romp I was expecting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Another S uh, plural title, but that's from 96. Right. And, uh, and, And very different. Very, very different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like I'm like that one could have easily been called sneakers as well. But no. yes. Uh also no, another uh, stat cast. Sleepers is I mean yeah. that's an intense movie. Uh yeah. I read the book cuz I worked with someone once who I was like, "Well, I've seen the movie." And they're like, "Oh, you got to read the book cuz it's like true story and it, it's right. even more out there." So Yes, highly, highly recommend it. But Sleepers is one of those movies where it's like, I've seen it once. Thanks. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm done. Sneakers, on the other hand, is highly rewatchable. So rewatchable. So let me synopsize for you, please. Martin Bishop and his ragtag team of questionable outcasts are some of the finest security experts in San Francisco. If you're concerned that your business has a security flaw, Bishop and his crew will find it. But things get turned on their side when Martin is approached by two NSA agents asking for his help recovering a black box allegedly being developed for the Russian government that can hack into any secure server and take over anything from traffic lights to federal to the Federal Reserve. The NSA blackmails Martin into 
The NSA blackmails Martin in order to take the job, which he is able to do with little effort. But when Martin arrives at the exchange, a member of his team finds out that the scientist who developed the box had been killed the night prior. Seeing that something is amiss, Martin takes off just before he could get gunned down by the people he thought were the NSA. Knowing that they have the box, Martin and his team try to find a way to recover it in order to prevent something catastrophic. As it turns out, the man behind the mischief is Martin's old friend, Cosmo, who was arrested for hacking while Martin got away. While in prison, Cosmo made friends with organized criminals and they developed a plan to collapse the world economy. Martin, his team, and his old flame Liz hatch a plan to sneak into Cosmo's office to steal the box back and release it to the actual NSA. And uh, Dan mentioned some of the cast. I'm going to kind of go through uh, the the whole roster. So Robert Redford is Martin Bishop. Uh, and then uh, also on his team is uh, Sidney Poitier as Donald Creese. We have David Strathairn as uh, Whistler. Dan Aykroyd as Mother. Uh, Darren Roscoe, but called the Mother. Uh, River Phoenix is Carl. Uh, and then we, act, then we add Mary McDonald as Liz. Uh, ben Kingsley plays Cosmo. We have um, uh, Stephen Tobolowski as uh, a, a foil, uh, the kind of the mark in their attempts to uh, steal it back. Uh, Timothy Busfield and Eddie Jones are the faux NSA agents. Uh, Timothy Busfield, also of Field of Dreams. You mentioned yeah. that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have Donald Logue as Dr. Gunter Yannick, who is the developer of this decoding technology. Uh, and James Earl Jones is there as the uh, actual NSA agent. So it's uh, what a cast! Uh, such a such a great cast. And also um, Sidney Poitier just like kicking ass. Sidney Poitier is fucking awesome in this. Uh, before we be, and before we dig in, sorry, just to uh, I wanted to come back because I, it occurred to me I was like, wait a second, didn't Robert Redford also direct a movie that came out like a week after Sneakers and no. A month after Sneakers, A River Runs Through It comes out. So, oh, okay. Yeah, man. Fort Red Border kicking ass. Uh, yeah, but, Fort Red yeah, Border. Sidney Poitier is great. Sidney Poitier, like the chemistry between them all is so much fun. Like, Dan, I just remembered something. Yeah? Dan Aykroyd was in my dream last night. Wait, what? Was he, was he <laughs> shilling news. his vodka? What was he doing? So, I uh, okay. Uh, keep in mind, this is a dream, so details can shift and get really weird very suddenly. What? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait till the end. I'm going to wait okay. till the end. So uh, what was happening was, I think that it was inside of our old high school. This wasn't like one of those, I'm back in high school movies. But like there was like something that was being filmed in our old high school. And I... <laughs> What? What are you laughing about? No, because of, because Val Kilmer, who we were just talking about, and you just made me think of that top secret, that dream he has in top secret where he's oh. back in high school. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, classic. Okay. So uh, something was being filmed in the school, and I was somehow part of it, but like on the outskirts of things. I wasn't, Pete? it wasn't Pete and Pete. No. Uh, okay. Which was filmed in our hometown. Uh, so it, it was something was being filmed there. And Dan Aykroyd was coming in. Uh, I don't know if he was a producer or was acting in it. And I, uh, I, I don't know, maybe I was there to like greet him or something and like kind of welcome him in and everything. And, I, and he gets kind of settled. And I started <laughs> talking to him about Vigo the Carpathian 
Ghostbusters <laughs> two. Uh, I you know Dan like as I'm I'm remembering like real... this as I'm saying it. Well, no 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 no. But I uh, <laughs> I made some sort of comment about uh, I couldn't remember the actor's name who actually played Vigo. But I was referencing uh, the performance of that character, and like I, I guess Craig that T. Nelson, act- right? Yeah, right. Uh, and um, I, I don't know. There was something that happened where I was like praising this actor who played Vigo the Carpathian to Dan Aykroyd, who clearly didn't give a shit. And so, uh, and then when I realized, like, oh, Dan Aykroyd doesn't give a shit, I like kind of saw my way out. And then I couldn't find my car. But then my car key, which was for a Volkswagen, which I don't drive, was actually opening up somebody else's car who I work with. And I was like, oh, that's a crazy car. And then I was going, and anyway, it kind of went into this whole thing. But, but wait, that's didn't we Aykroyd. have a, didn't we have like a family like Jetta when you were in high yeah, school? Yeah, at one point, but it was like, that's irrelevant. It, uh, I, I was looking for my current car. All right. Is, is the point. Okay. So anyway. Um, sure. It was a whole thing. Dan Aykroyd was there and I definitely was, uh, was was not uh, welcomed in that conversation. Um, it does make me wonder, though, like if I did run into Dan Aykroyd, what would I want to talk to him about? Because there are so many amazing things, and I'm, and I feel like I'd want to talk about nothing but trouble, but I'd be yes, embarrassed that is exactly- too, and <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to like hurt his feelings and make him think that I was making fun of him. Uh, you know, I don't know. No, I would, I, I would, but John, like we did an episode about nothing but trouble where I think like, you know, we kind of gave it, it's just, uh, you know, just desserts. I yeah, don't know if that's the I think so. Yeah. Here. But, um, which by the way, I saw that, I think, was it like Shout Factory released a Blu-ray of nothing but like a collector's edition no way. of nothing but trouble. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Would you, wouldn't you, would you ask him about Ghostbusters? See, that's the thing is I'm sure he gets asked about Ghostbusters all the time. I don't ask him about Ghostbusters. Ah, good point. What am I going to ask him about Ghostbusters that isn't available anywhere else? You know, like. Okay. uh, Yeah. yeah. No, I would ask him about like the couch trip or something maybe. Well, also what's interesting about Dan Aykroyd is that he's in sneakers in a role that's, you know. Oh. Not even, not primary, not even secondary. He's, you know, he's probably number eight on the call sheet. But he's on the team. He's he's on the team, absolutely. But I feel like David Strathairn is higher ranking than he is. I feel like on the team, he probably gets the least amount of screen time. Um, but I feel like this was one of those, like Dan Aykroyd was really great in, in this period. Uh, and we, we've talked about Driving Miss Daisy at doing a few projects every now and again that were like kind of like more prestigious than, you know, let's say a nothing but trouble uh yeah so i i feel like this was and i mean i don't know i i suppose i could probably do some deep digging and find out uh you know how exactly he got into this ensemble you know what dan i have a theory go ahead nothing but trouble came out 1991 yeah, I'm wondering if somehow like he made nothing but trouble and like which was such a catastrophic, you know, production and everything that I'm wondering if he was just like, I'm going to have to kiss some asses for a little bit and, you know, maybe eat shit and like take some maybe smaller roles <laughs> and like rebuild my brand. <laughs> I mean, I don't think being in sneakers is eating any shit. I mean, no, but he's not starring in it is what I'm saying. Like no. nothing but trouble was like a huge vanity project for him. Right. Nothing but trouble was. But if you look at most. Well, I guess the next year was Coneheads. 
93. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. back to number one on the call sheet. Right. Right. But even I, I would say there are very few times where, where Ackroyd is number one on the call sheet. Like I maybe Dragnet. That's but a, even Ghostbusters, yeah. Ackroyd's not number one on the call sheet. I don't True. think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Number anyway. two. Yeah. Anyway. Even like uh, something like, I don't know, Couch Trip, which I don't know why I keep coming back to that. I've never even seen it. <laughs> uh, Mathow. But anyway, yeah. Back to sneakers. Amazing ensemble. Mary McDonnell, who had just kind of like broken out in... You know uh, what, Dan? Yes. Blues Brothers 2000. What? Oh, yeah. And Blues Blues Brothers 2000. Yes. Oh, you getting that weird feedback? Yeah, that's you. Yeah, I think that was my, my I think I had my phone too close to it. So, anyway, so yeah. Blues Brothers 2000. Blues Brothers 2000. Okay. Fantastic. I'm sure yeah. there were days where he wasn't <laughs> even number one, like when Clapton was on set or whatever. Right. Uh, the Yeah. The, the only part of that movie worth watching is like this huge blues like jam session at the end. I, I watched it once. Um, and yeah. So anyway, but Aykroyd, you know, he would he would do these, you know, like the man was nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah. Not too not too long before this. But yeah, so Sneakers is uh, a great movie, and yeah, Sneakers is really fun. Uh, I I think that I really enjoy, um, I guess, more lighthearted espionage movies. I, although I say, I mean, I love like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, uh, but I, anything that involves like code cracking yeah. and you know, um, you know, major plot like major plots to <laughs> collapse the world economy and something like i i don't know uh well, the the tone of this movie is is right on is right on is right on right on and i right on. i don't know i'm drawn to that kind of thing this is kind of a perfect movie for somebody like me Ex- and yes yeah and also there's um like just just watching this cast kind of doing like something really enjoyable. Um, yeah, Mary McDonnell is really fun. Steven Tobolowski's character is so much fun. Uh, his voice is his passport. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> uh, and so, um, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a lot uh, to enjoy about this. It it totally holds up. Uh, there's there's nothing about it that's you know questionable after all this time. I mean, uh, hey, this is 30 years later. We are at just right after its 30th anniversary. So yeah. there we go. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, but it, everything I've, about it. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, uh, Ben Kingsley wasn't maybe my favorite. I don't know. There's something about his performance that I, and, and maybe it has to do with just, you know, his little ponytail nub or I don't know. <laughs> There's just something about it that his, I was just his, like, like mm. early '90s music producer. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh, you're Frankie talking Sharp about of Sharp Records. <laughs> oh, you're talking Frank Sharp Records. I'm thinking of, uh, uh, oh my god, um, why am I totally blanking? Uh, Michael McKean and Airheads. Oh, uh, okay. where he's yes. the, yeah. the station manager. Which, by the way, uh, Variety did in they they had like a little they filmed a little conversation between. Uh, Brendan Fraser and Adam Sandler. Uh, and it was the most I've ever liked Adam Sandler. 
because it's him and Brendan Fraser just like interviewing each other essentially. And uh, they're talking a lot about the amazing time they had together on Airheads and uh, just like being really open and honest with each other about their careers and the ups and downs and everything. And it's honestly the, the time where I've really felt like I've seen like who Adam Sandler is as a person. Yeah. Um, and the way that he and Brendan Fraser talk to each other is just like really, really sweet. And talking about this bananas movie that like I happen to love, it's so good. And well, uh, I to know that they think about it. it with fondness. Yeah, I was thinking about great. it yesterday as as you know the 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 Brendan Fraser the the Renaissance is happening. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, Airheads has been largely left out of the conversation and undeserved. Wrongfully so. so. We talked about another stacked cast. That that movie is just like, you know, it's brilliant. And uh, we we will talk about that. We'll talk about our heads another time. But sneakers. Yeah. So sneakers and the setup of it. I mean, I feel like it's it's so it's relevant again, because you imagine, uh, you know, in the beginning, you know, when when they're taking the money from the Republic National convention right yeah republican national convention and you know transferring it over to i don't know the naacp right yeah or whatever you, you know it's like you imagined doing that taking from like you know the uh you know ted cruz's re-election campaign and transferring the money to black lives matter the jokes still work the jokes oh. absolutely still work it's not like you're watching an episode of golden girls and dorothy references some like uh, borscht belt comedian or something and like the cloud the crowd go the the canned laughter goes wild and meanwhile today we're just like I'll have to imagine that that was something no, funny Rose, back then. No, Rose, Marty Feldman. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, I, I don't know. Like, I, the jokes are still relevant. Oh, yeah. I don't know if they knew at the time, like, this is always going to be funny. So let's do this. Like, you know. And it's interesting because it it's about works. technology, and technology yeah. has changed so much in 30 years, but this movie seems to have kind of the through line it seems yeah. like even though, yeah, some of the tech that you see in the movie is very early 90s looking, the yeah. ideas are are still current and relevant. So it, absolutely. I, I think it, it, it's one of the yeah, who knows if this was if there was a lot of uh, foresight. I mean, it, it was co-written by Lawrence Lasker and Walter Parks, who wrote War Games. Right. And I read I think it was just on Wikipedia that the idea for this was conceived during the production of War Games. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense. That sounds right. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, you could see this as kind of like a spiritual sequel to to War Games. Sure, they exist in the same universe. That kind of <sighs> oh, boy. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Uh, so many ideas are floating around right now. Well, uh, and that leads me to ask you the question, Dan. Like, you know, 30 years later, what would we do with sneakers? Well, and uh, to lead into that answer... Uh, I will add that there was a series in the works about six, seven years 2016, ago. 2016, yeah. Yeah, 2016. And I think that a series, I, I think that, like, yes, it would work, but it would also just diminish it, and it would it would take it down to just be, like, another procedural. And, yes, it, it fits very well into that mold of the procedural and everyone on the team and who's, and, of course, like, you know, of, of course, it, you know, you would have it much more diversified uh, now, and you know you'd have room for more more than one woman on 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, representation-wise, what's interesting about the film itself, I mean, j- just by putting Sidney Poitier in something doesn't mean that it makes it diverse fully. Right. But uh, also having a, well, I mean, a blind character not played by a blind actor, I think, uh, you know, is is a ding. But also for 1992, that's not that bad. Right. <laughs> and it's and not I- like it's really played uh, only for comedy. It's played for relevance. This is not it, Leslie Nielsen doing Mr. Magoo. <laughs> no, it actually, uh, you know, uh, supports the character's motives and gives the character, you know, strengths. Well, yeah, there's that scene. There's that wonderful scene where uh, where he's, they're listening to the recording over and over again. And I, for, I forget what it was that they were listening to, but and they're all like, yeah, no, there's nothing. We can't figure this out. And he's like, uh-uh, you're not hearing what I, like, you, yeah. yeah. Well, there's, and then there's also the part where he's asking, because Robert Redford was like in the trunk of a car and right. trying to figure out where they were going. And yes. then he was just like, you know, did you go over any bridges? Was there a, a tire bump pattern? And right. like, they was like recreating it. And then well, the, the cocktail of, party. <laughs> oh my God. It, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and yeah, and he even has that line. He goes, "Remind me to make you an honorary blind person." Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, so yeah, naturally, if you were going to do it today, but I, I, but that's not my idea. I don't want to see a series yeah. because I don't want to see this just reduced to being like whatever. Uh, there was that series on, sh- I think, Showtime with like Timothy Hutton, and then there's like a th- there's like a TNT version, and there's all these others, and just all of these like who's on the team, like Criminal Minds. Uh, mm-hmm. is one my wife watches that and <laughs> uh, you know and it's yes and this is the serious one and this is the funny one and this is the computer whiz and this is the yeah. like oh yes they're there for the exposition because they're the computer whiz and there's a hey go, like tell me what you have Garcia tell me what you have on like you know this on this person and they'll be like oh well interesting here's the deal and like oh here's all the information you need you, the viewer needs to know um, I don't want sneakers to be diminished to that. So I honestly, I would like to just see a, I, I, I feel like I also, I, I was, I was going to say remake, but when I think about a remake of this, it makes me think about all the movies that have come after it that yeah. did what it would be doing as a remake from yeah. mission impossible to oceans 11 to oceans eight. <laughs> uh, Hey Dan, I have a quick question for you. Yeah. And, and uh, for our listeners, we're, we're recording this remotely. Dan is in Seattle. I'm in Portland. Dan, are you just casually wearing a tuxedo T-shirt? <laughs> uh, so that's uh, a yes. That's a yes. No explanation needed. No, no explanation needed. I'm not just. I volunteered at my. I don't think that you should give any explanation. No. Okay, so I'm wearing a tuxedo T-shirt. All right, okay. casually. Here, here. I'll post it. I'll take a picture. <laughs> I will post it on our Instagram. <laughs> okay. Uh okay, so, so <laughs> that silence is go. us just taking pictures. Okay. I'm so uh, the t- tuxedo t shirt. Okay. <laughs> there we go. I'm gonna post that shit. So uh anyway, so I was thinking about the, the remake idea and Again, it just it it then comes down to like, well, sneakers becomes another like the Flatliners remake and just yeah. like another like cookie cutter. Oh, this this again. So, um, I I think that what I would like to see sneakers 
revived as is a type of competition like game show okay type thing and it, and it basically it, it, i think it would it comes down to like you know a, an escape room type type deal and where you have your team and your team has to uh you know solve the i mean it basically would be an escape room competition uh, yeah. yeah or i mean it doesn't need to be televised it could just be an escape room right and it could be what yeah. a sneakers themed escape room yeah yeah Cosmo, or, you know, has there could be, you in. yeah, there could be like a virtual reality experience for it. There's, you know, there's things that, yeah, certainly that you could do there. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like, I feel like something like that, but also I, I think that like, you know, the watching those, uh, and maybe it's just because like my daughter watches all of these like baking shows and, uh, competition shows and I'm like, oh, well that's kind of fun. And, uh, I don't know that I've seen one where it's like two di- two teams in two different like escape rooms uh, and just like breaking code. So it wouldn't even yeah. really be sneakers related, but somewhere deep down, it, the inspiration is is based in in sneakers. So, well, I mean, I will say like, you know, I don't know if you would necessarily say sneakers uh, specific, but, you know, there's a, a large uh element of nostalgia for the 90s and there has been for a long time and i feel like even just setting something in like the early 90s and using like early 90s computers you're limited to to the early 90s technology yeah well you do have to turn in your phones when you do an escape room um have you ever done an escape room john i've done one escape room and i believe that it was like sherlock holmes themed which is so obvious and i uh, i was with a a group of uh, lawyers who are very like type A and trying to do everything very much just like by the book, and I'm just like, huh? The antler on that like you know you were the whisperer of the group is <laughs> looks kind of weird. What if I turn that and then like you know it just kind of lets you skip like twenty steps. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. Uh, we did an escape room in in Belgium. So my my wife is is from Belgium, from Ghent, Belgium. Uh, and we did an escape room there and yeah, we actually, we got out with like 30 seconds left on the clock. It was a real nail biter. Uh, it was cold war themed and it was basically Mm. like the Soviets were planning on releasing, um, the song wind of change by scorpions. Yeah. It played throughout the on loop (laughs) for the entire like hour. Um, okay. No, sorry. Uh, I don't know if that's, oh yeah, it is the right song. But, um, uh, anyway, as I feel like just movie themed escape rooms would be fun, not just yeah. sneakers, but sneakers would be a great like jumping off point for it. And, you know, assemble your team. Who's your crease? Who's your who's your yeah. whistler? Who's your mother? Yeah. Who's your mother? Who's your mother? <laughs> who's your Darren Roscoe? Uh, <laughs> you know, who's your River Phoenix? I forget what his character name is. Carl. Carl. Yes. Yeah. I mean, also, it's like a thing about how cool this is because you've got like you've got, you know, Poitier and Redford, these icons from the 60s. And then you've got River Phoenix, who I mean, at that point, it was like this guy is, you know, like there is no limit for for where this guy is going to go. Unfortunately, you know, yeah, tragic, tragic. Yeah. 
but um he uh it, like you've got him it, it and it, it's interesting because it reminds me of it it actually makes me connect that to back to a river runs through it which mm. is Brad Pitt not his first movie but right. His real breakout role, and like Brad Pitt was really seen as like a young Robert Redford and Redford taking him under his wing. Anyway, back to sneakers. Uh, I think it would be fun as as an experience or as like a competition to watch. Uh, yeah. Wh- what you know, do you, think? you know what? You know what Brad Pitt was really good in? Sleepers. Brad Pitt was really good. In, yes. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, I just wanted to bring up sleepers again and you gave me an in. Uh, sorry, yeah, because I don't know that we'll ever cover sleepers on here. No, honestly. we won't. No, no, we won't. What, I mean, sorry, what, what were you saying? It's excellent. If you ever play the Kevin Bacon game, though, sleepers is worth at least knowing oh. the cast of. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like a Rosetta Stone. Yeah. Uh, okay. So John, what's, what's your yes. idea? What are we, what are you going to do? So I will start by letting you know, uh, that I was talking to some people and I was explaining what this podcast does. And a lot of times when I'd say that what we do is we theorize how we could bring back movies, I always try to include things that aren't standard, uh, you know, such as like uh, a sequel or a prequel or reboot or remake, whatever. I always try to throw in some things where it's like, it could be this or it could be that. And one of the things that I like to say is ice cream flavor. And uh, when asked what uh, our latest movie was, I said sneakers. And when they asked me what ice cream flavor would you do for sneakers? I was like, well, let's see. There's uh, my voice is my pistachio. And then like, then I was like, oh, duh, of course it's sneaker doodle swirl. So, uh, anyway, that's, uh, that's not what I'm going with, but not Fort uh, red velvet. No, nope. Uh, sneaker doodle was definitely the, uh, the obvious choice. But anyway, um, I was thinking, and you know, you and I, I think we're thinking along the same lines where it's like, there's so much that we, that, uh, can be done with this movie for, real life uh, opportunities and experiences and, you know, uh, decoding things and anagrams and, and that kind of a thing. I, I felt like I, uh, similarly to where you were going with it, I was thinking more of like a, like a, like a tabletop Dungeons and Dragons style game. I know I've kind of gone down that well before, but uh, I felt like for something like this, it'd be really interesting because I, uh, you know, or like just like a board game. But uh, I think that what's up. It reminds me of one of those old like VHS games. Yeah, totally. Yes. Where it's like, it's kind of like a choose your own adventure kind of a thing where it's like, oh, this happens. So you need to figure out a way, like in order to get past this, you have to unscramble this thing that gives you the code to get into this thing and whatever. And so uh, it just kind of lends itself to um, that type of thing. I mean, there's that incredible scene where they're playing Scrabble and he's kind of using the tiles to kind of... Uh, realize what this one thing actually is supposed to be and uh oh, oh uh, yeah. i i think that uh, before i got to sneaker doodle swirl it was uh too many snicker doodles oh too many <sighs> yeah <laughs> nice yes yeah so uh secrets. yeah too many secrets so uh yeah i think that there's just you know and and i think that we've talked about this before but it, it would be so cool for a like an independent board game company to do a series of board games based on you know movies from like the 80s and 90s that uh are um 
dare I say, sleeper hits. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when we record in the middle in the middle of a day. Hey, oh yeah, no, we get silly. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it makes me also think of like what a lot of video games do is create sequels because like these board like board games, like just games in general kind yeah. of give you the opportunity to have a sequel, especially like video games. Like you could have a sequel starring the original cast. Sure. <laughs> and um, uh, so I, I feel like, you know, even going down the whole like virtual reality route, which I feel like there's a lot of, it, there's less action and more like brain work here. So I actually like the idea of a board game. It's like a clue, kind of like a clue yeah. style. I was thinking game. of uh, some sort of clue style type of thing. Yeah. So I, I don't know, like there, I feel like there's a lot of opportunities to kind of, um, I don't know, mine this for uh, some actual real world activations uh, right. rather than uh, simply rebooting it or remaking it. Just so. Right, but like so many, but like so many other uh, movies uh, of the '90s, especially September 1992, it's a movie that has aged well, has picked up, I think, has built a fan base and continues to build a fan base uh, over the years because people just really like it and they show it to people who haven't because it eventually will come up and oh, I've, oh, have you seen Sneakers? And it's like. Oh, the one with, uh, you know, Brad Pitt. And Brad Pitt and Robert De Niro. Kevin Bacon, Robert De Niro. Bacon. No, 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 no. That That's Sleepers. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's no. Sleepers. It came out four years later. We don't need to talk about Sleepers. Uh, uh, but, <laughs> yeah. People uh, people really like that movie. And I think, you know, it. Uh, I mean, it did fairly well. I think it opened at, at number one. Uh, you know, it, it, it made money. But, again, it was September. So... Um, but that well, movie, Robert just, Redford is, is a big draw yeah, and, yeah. uh, especially around that time. And I mean, that's kind of how this movie got made. Once Robert Redford signed on, that's when all of the other pieces well, fell into place. Yes. That's, and, that's true. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Robert Redford, I felt like was so perfect for that role because in most Robert Redford movies, I'll say with the exception of probably something like, uh, barefoot in the park, actually, uh, you know, his characters usually exude this kind of confidence and bravitas that like uh, make you feel like you're safe with this character and that you know that you're going on this journey with somebody who knows what they're doing. Maybe also less uh, the Sundance kid, but um, that's for right. different reasons. But all, but he still did have the, the bit of confidence there. But I Robert Redford, I mean, you know, I think about him in a lot of his uh, his movies, both newer and older, and they're voices of authority. It's, you know, professors and uh, politicians. and Well, that's well, why it's so much fun when yeah. he doesn't know what to say, like the scene where he runs into the, where he's in Janek's office and uh, the other, the scientist that, that Janek is having the affair with comes right. into the room and Rev and Redford's right. Like Whistler's trying to feed him lines and you like, that's why it's fun Classic. when you see him kind of stumble. But before we, uh, before we sign off here, I, I, I was thinking about it and I was like, man, is this my favorite Redford? Is this like my favorite Robert Redford performance? Well, 
Okay, uh, we've covered uh, Three Days of the Condor before. I mean, how do you feel like it compares to that? Because I feel like that's a really strong one. I prefer uh, this. You prefer this. Have you seen the next movie that we're going to be covering? Uh, I have not. So, so, Dan, I don't know. I think that you might like that one. And why don't you tell everybody what it is? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So the next movie we're going to be covering is from 1972. And it is called The Candidate, uh, starring, of course, Robert Redford, directed by Michael Ritchie, uh, who we've talked about before, directed The Bad Bears, yeah. uh, co-starring Peter Boyle, Melvin. And we talked a little bit about The Candidate on our Bad News Bears episode, but you hadn't seen it, so it was pretty much just me saying how much I like it. <laughs> yes. So uh, I'm excited to see this one. It's one I've been wanting to watch for uh, quite some time and just kind of always put it off and now I'm, I'm excited to watch it for the first time. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it's kind of one of those, uh, evergreen stories about politicians kind of being used, uh, as yeah. props essentially, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, unfortunately it's not on any like of the like streaming services, but it is available for rent and to purchase on all the, all the biggies. Um, but it's also just like it's it's classic seventies Redford. Uh, you got Peter Boyle in there. It's a lot of fun. I, I I really enjoyed this when I watched it last, and I'm excited to watch it again. All right, sounds good, John. Well, if you uh, have any thoughts on oh. uh, sneakers or the candidate or anything that we've talked about before, feel Robert free to Redford. email us. Robert Redford, RuinChildhoodsPod at gmail.com. We have a link tree in our bio with all of our social media stuff, so please uh, follow us there. We'd love to hear all your thoughts. And, uh, yeah, Dan, while you are uh, running away from the fake NSA, I wish you a good journey. Good journey. Good journey.